Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. When time is of the essence and work needs to be executed, we often forego formalities and hop right into execution, hiring a contractor or a friend to help you with the work. This was the case of my friend Pat, who paid a friend to build a proprietary software product for her company. Now, a lot of problems came up in the process and the relationship was terminated. Pat wanted the IP to finish the product, but there was no formal agreement in place and Pat did not own the IP. Long story short, the relationship went south and it ended up in litigation. The end result was an additional seven-figure payout to obtain the rights to the code so the company could finish and release the product. This was a very costly encounter for Pat that could have been circumvented with a simple written agreement. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest hires by sharing insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Devin Miller. Devin is the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law. He's also the founder and CEO of Mountain Green Engineering and the host of the Inventive Journey podcast. Now, Devin loves startups. He runs his own patent and trademark law firm to help startups and small businesses. He also founded his first startup while earning his law and MBA degrees. Since then, he has founded several seven and eight figure startups and enjoyed every moment of it which is what makes Devin the perfect expert for today's topic. Devin, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And now you had me on your podcast a few weeks ago. And thank you, by the way, it was such a great experience. And we spoke afterwards. I was just really excited to get you on ours as well. So welcome. Always fun to have you on ours and excited to be here. We're going to talk about putting the process in place before you actually say I do or get anybody involved in your company to make sure that you're protected from an IP perspective. We're going to talk about why your IP needs to be protected before you hire and then how to best protect it with anyone who touches the product. Now, I've experienced this myself and I've heard stories from lots of individuals who have said similar stories, especially at the beginning phases of the company where you're just trying to get something going to where you can get to an MVP or somewhere where you can at least kind of get a product out to bring on some customers. And I think a lot of us have had this problem, especially with people that we brought on as a contractor or as a potential like co-founder of the company. No, I think that there's there's a lot you hit on there. And I mean, one of the main things, I, I completely get where their businesses come from, especially as a startup and a small business. You have more things to get taken care of than time to do it. You also have more things to spend money on than money to spend. And so you're always trying to balance and say, okay, got to get the product out the door, got to get the team in place, got to get marketing, got to get sales, maybe hiring. We've got to Oh, yeah, there's that legal stuff, but ah, we'll worry about that when we're bigger. It's not a big deal. And so oftentimes it'll kind of get pushed down the road and it's because it's, you know, put out of sight or out of mind or it's not a fire today. I'll put that one out when it, when it's on fire down the road. And yet most of the time it creates much bigger problems down the road than if you just got it or something simple in place to, to get things uh, kicked off. And I think it probably causes more problems down the road when you get to a point where the company is successful, right? Because then somebody sees that, hey, look at, I actually own this software. I can take advantage of it. 
Yeah, and I think that's usually the the case. I mean, most of the time it's easy. First of all, it's easy when money, there isn't a lot of money involved to get the agreements in place because then everybody is more reasonable. They don't have the dollar signs in their eyes and everybody's a lot more on the same page. Anytime you get a large amount of money involved or success or people have, you know, the outlook of, hey, this is going to take off, then it's always hard to get people to agree. And everybody's recollections magically change. It was, hey, we yes, we agreed on this when we first started, but I, I think that things have changed or things have adjusted and people always are, are shifting their recollection. If you get it codified, solidified at the get-go, everybody agrees to it. It's in writing, they understand, and it makes it so, first of all, you avoid a lot more problems because those problems don't arise. And even if they do arise, you already have the solution there because you've already all agreed to it. I find that people get amnesia pretty quickly when conversations happen, when things were agreed upon. And actually, even when you have things written down sometimes and they're signed off on, I don't remember signing that. Yeah, it is it is true, at least when they don't remember signing it and say, but you still signed it, it's still what we agreed to. And whether or not you remember it, it still happens. And gosh, it saves so many headaches in the long run. Let's talk about protecting IP. Like where are the challenges? Because there's a lot of different avenues here where you can get help, right? So you've got freelancing platforms, you have contractors. What else? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would do give the two second overview or maybe two more than two seconds, who knows, of what IP is, just so people can kind of get a, a, a level set for what they should be thinking about. So IP are, is short for intellectual property, and it really kind of encompasses primarily three things, which are patents. Patents are for invention. So if you create something, software, hardware, electronics, anything of that nature falls under patents. Trademarks are going to be for branding. So if you have a brand, name of a company, name of a logo, or a logo, name of a product, catchphrase, you protect that via trademarks. Copyrights are going to be something on the creative nature, which is going to be a book, a video, a podcast, a um, painting, a sculpture, all fall under copyright. So first thing is, is, when we talk about intellectual property, you may have one or more in those different categories. Now, when you get into it and say, okay, and, and, and that's pretty encompassing. I mean, whether you're a brand company and you're a services-based industry, whether you're a product company or you're inventing, whether you're creating viral content. Most of the time you fall at least under one of those categories. And it's kind of one of those things that as you get going and as you get started, oftentimes you don't really think about protecting. You're just getting a bit, you're, you're even seeing if that minimal viable MVP, the minimally viable product is even going to work if people are going to pay for it. And you don't even think about protecting it because right now you don't have any money to even protect it. And so you'll start bringing on employees or independent contractors or using a freelancing or site, all of which have various minefields as to when you hire, as an example, independent contractor, do they own it or do you own it? Assumption is always one paying for paying them for it. They're doing it or because I'm giving them money to do it. Shouldn't I own it? And yet most of the time, if you just don't have any agreements in place, you don't own it. They own it. You get a license to it, but they can go sell that to anybody else. Same thing with some of the platforms that are out there. And so there's really considerations as to who owns it. How do you make sure that you own it? How do you make sure that they don't later on? sell it to a competitor or anything else. And that's where you start to get into some of those agreements and, and that you put in place. Look, there's a ton of resources out there where you can get free documentation like Founders Lab and some of these other accelerators. They all have free documentation that you can sign off on. All you have to do is put your company name and their company name in there. I think Y Combinator has documentation for that. So there's really no excuse to not have IP protection, right? Like it just at the bare minimum when you can print something up. I would imagine though, at some point, you're going to probably have to go through that again and really solidify it more. Yeah. I mean, I have mixed emotions on the 
free things that put out there because some of them are good. Don't get me wrong. Some of them they put out there are good. Some of them are terrible and all it does is give you a false sense of security. And especially if you're not an attorney or you haven't been through this, or this is your first time, it's hard to understand which ones are the good ones or the bad ones. And then you basically, it's a roll of the dice. You hope you got a good one. You hope it's covered. And really the only time you find out is when you have a problem, then you pull it out and you go and talk with an attorney and say, well, I got this document. Does it get, is it covered? And you're really hoping that it does. And so, yeah, I mean, I get it. If you're looking, something is better than nothing. So if you're looking to get something that's the document offline, whether it's a Y Combinator, you know, they have their boilerplate or whether you go to LegalZoom or anything of that nature, is that something is better than nothing. And I always kind of analogize it with if you're going to get a, if you're looking to get a, a roof over your head. And you're saying, okay, I could probably, without any instructions, without any videos, I could probably figure out how to set up a tent. It'll be a roof over my head. Won't be very comfortable, but I will have a roof over my head, so to speak. And then, you know, if I wanted to go one step further, I could probably do a DIY version where I go and watch the YouTube videos and I kind of read things online. It'll be probably better than a, a, a tent and it'll be, you know, it'll be more of a shelter. Or you can go and you can hire a professional, has air conditioning, electronics, heating everything else. And so that's kind of where you have to gauge what step are you in the process as to whether or not you should get one. And based on your budget, based on your time and experience, do whichever one fits your business. Share a quick horror story with me. I shared one at the top of the show and I think everybody's heard them. A lot of people have experienced it, but is there anything you can kind of share that was a reason why anybody listening to the episode should really take this seriously? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I could I'm, I could go on for a long time and or lots of fun horror stories, but you know, one of the probably the more recent ones is it was a business partner that had got into business with somebody else, and probably similar to what your story was. And they're basically, and I said, I'll, you know, as the old adage goes, we'll leave the names out to protect the innocent, while we'll leave the names out to protect confidentiality. Won't get into the exact details, um, but you know, they were coming in and they were basically saying, hey, I put in all this money, I put in all this time and the effort, and the person wants to exit and they have unrealistic expectations of what they have to exit. And so then, you know, the first question as an attorney is you're going through is, okay, well, do you have a, did you, do you, did you ever at least form a business? Well, they, they formed an LLC. So they at least had a business in place. And then the next question to do is if you, you know, try and be nice as I can say, typically when you form a business, you have an operating agreement. Operating agreement outlines all these scenarios, who makes decisions, what ownership you have, who puts in what, if there's disillusion, how is it going to be resolved? If a partner is exiting, how do they exit? You have one of those and they're like, well, I don't know. And so then it's usually, let me go and find the, the documents of whatever service I use to, or to create the LLC and it's boilerplate templated, doesn't really cover the issue. And so now we're having to basically go back and forth and figure out, okay, who contributed what? What is the state law that you're under? Is it, did they, did you can, did you keep track if it was, or time versus money? Did you keep track of your time? Did they keep track of contract? And it makes it such a horrible experience because now, first of all, you're defocusing from the business. So they basically put the business on pause because all they're doing is fighting. Whereas if they'd had a document in place, they would have said, here's what we agree to. If you want to exit, here's how you exit. Or if we have a disagreement and you're not happy with how things are going, here's how we resolve it. And it was, it took it from a if they'd had an operating agreement in place, it would have been a five-minute conversation. They may not have been happy, but it would have been a five-minute conversation to thousands of dollars, having an attorney go through, counsel them, having to get things going, reviewing through all the documents, putting the business on pause, all of which were, which were easily avoidable if they'd simply taken a bit of time at the beginning. Hey, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. For our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. 
Check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find a link to order your copy of Healing Career Wounds. Let it be your startup secret weapon to win winning the strongest hires. Our guest today is Devin Miller. He is the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law. And we're discussing the importance of operating agreements, employee agreements, independent contractor agreements. We're really talking about anything that gets you out of the frying pan when things go south. Let's talk, Devin, now about what we need to do. Like, how do we solve this problem? What do we need to get in place for East Agreement so that we kind of can avoid this? First and foremost, hire an attorney if you can, right? But if you can't, what are at least the components that you needed in that operating agreement or that employee agreement that's going to protect you? Yeah, and, and I would take it one step back. And the first thing I would do is get a business formation in place. LLC is the simplest. You can also do an S Corp, C Corp. If you want to know the difference, go talk to an attorney. Taxes have an overlay. Investors like it a certain way. But get a business formed in place because that one is the first layer of protection. And it makes it a whole lot easier when you're doing these agreements to have it with the business and as opposed to you as an individual. It makes it a lot more messy. So get that in place. And then the next thing you're going to look at is saying, okay, okay, let's say I go out and get my LLC in place. Check that box. And I'm good to go, right? And say, well, that's a good start. Where you're going to want to do is look and see what are the kind of relationships you're going to be having with people as a, as the business. So take the treat the business as an entity or as an individual. And I understand that businesses aren't the same as an actual person, but treat it for that way for a second and say, okay, are you going to have multiple founders or co-founders? Okay, if that's the case, then you're going to go and get a operating operating agreement basically covers when you have people coming in the business that are the founders. They're going to have equity ownership or have shares. They're going to be putting in money. They're going to be putting in time. It outlines all of that. So then it, it makes it easy. Hi, if we only have two people, we each have 50% of the vote. Okay, if we each have 50%, one's and when do you disagree and how do we break the tie? All of those type of things you are going to be outlined in an operating agreement. So first relationship is, unless if you're doing it on your own, great. Makes it easy. You have an operating agreement with yourself. But if you disagree with yourself, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> Second thing you're going to be looking at is, okay, let's say I got the founders, I got those people on board, got the operating agreement. Now you're going to be looking at is how are, who are the people that are going to be doing the work for the business? And that usually breaks down into a few different ones. It can be employees, it can be independent contractors, or it can be kind of independent contractors plus, which is I'm going to go out and use a website or a platform to hire someone. They're still technically an independent contractor, but now you're introducing an intermediary or a third party. So you're not really having a direct relationship with the independent contract. So we're talking about like a Fiverr and Upwork or one of those guys? Fiverr, Upwork, if it was on, you know, legal, it's LegalZoom, Rocco's attorney, freelancer, I think.com is another one. There's a lot of them out there and all of them, they have different uses, different reasons why I approach them, but they're all going to be that same thing where you're basically going out and you're saying, hey, I don't know where I don't, or I don't know where to go and get a freelancer. I need a very limited amount of time. I don't want to have to go through and post a position. Don't want to have to go through the hiring process. I only need this quick thing. Maybe I need a logo created. I don't really want to have to go through five hours of sifting through resumes, even for an independent contractor to make a logo. So I'm going to Fiverr, those type of things. Yeah. And depending on the type of agreement you're going to be doing, employees, you're going to have an employment agreement. You can also, if you don't have a full employment agreement, you can do what's called a CIAA agreement. It's basically just covers your intellectual property for employees. Other hand, you're going to be doing independent contract agreements if you're doing an independent contractor. And we'll probably get into if you're doing Fiverr, I still strongly recommend having your own independent contract agreement and not just leaving it up to the client. Get those in place. That'd be the next or kind of the next step or the thing that you'd be considering. 
I haven't used Fiverr in a while. Can you actually send somebody your independent contractor agreement through Fiverr so that you're protected? Yeah, I mean, so every platform is different. So I'll give you the general answer, which is yes on Fiverr and most of them. So they will have what are, are people never actually read, kind of like when you buy a cell phone and they have the 20-page document. Everybody just wants to say, yeah, I'll sign it. I don't care. And it's not a big deal. Those ones actually, you know, as opposed to the cell phone, probably not a big deal. I don't read that one either. But when you get into those platforms like Fiverr and that, terms and conditions actually do apply, which means they have inherently within their terms and conditions, they kind of have a generic or kind of trying to catch all for all the different. So you take Fiverr as an example, think about all the different services they offer. They offer everything from logo, website development. They offer people that will sing you a happy birthday if you're paying $5 and everything in between. And so how do you kind of capture all that? Well, they, they do a good job as good as they can with terms and conditions or terms of service, um, but it leaves a lot of gaps and a lot of things are open. Plus, now the they in their own terms and conditions will say, we are a third party. We're not going to get into your legal battle if you ever have to go fight it. And so you're on your own type. And it's not bad. They're not trying to put you out in the wind, but they're saying we're not going to be enforcing every single transaction when anybody has a dispute, you're on your own. And so now that was a much longer answer to your short question, which is you can, if you had a uh, independent contract agreement, most of the people that you work with on those type of platforms, if you send it along to them, they're going to sign it. They're going to agree to it. They're probably not going to care. They're used to doing it, signing a lot of them. So you can send it either sometimes via the messaging app or if you can communicate with them directly or the document upload, all of which they'll typically sign and get those in place. What do we need to have in this agreement to protect us? Obviously, when the relationship terminates or ends. Yeah, so I would put a, a few things in there. So one is outline the role. In other words, and we talked about employee versus independent contractor. For an independent contractor, you're going to basically, in so many words, it's going to be a work for hire. In other words, you're not bringing them on as an employee. You're not going to pay taxes for them. They're not going to make any decisions for your business. They're not going to do any of the things that a normal employee would do, and you're not helping providing them with health insurance. So outline what is the role that they're going to be fulfilling. Second thing you're going to do is, okay, now that you've indicated the role in the relationship, now you're going to also look at, you know, how are they going to be, what real roles and responsibilities. So not, not just what are you not doing, but what are they going to be doing? So, hey, I hired you to do a logo design, or I'm hiring you to edit a podcast episode or I'm hiring you to write some blog content or build a website, whatever it is, outline both what they are not doing because they're not an employee and also outline what they are doing as an independent contractor. That kind of just generally sets it up that that's what the relationship you're engaging them for is. The next thing as far as um, intellectual property or to make sure you're protected is you're gonna have a duty to assign their rights to you. And this would be out of all the sections, other than putting their name and their signature on them, it's gonna be the most important because this is where you're going to outline what happens after they make something for you. Are they going to be able to keep it for themselves? Are they going to be able to license it to other people? Are you the exclusive owner of it? Do they have to turn everything over to you? Generally, you're going to want most people when you go in or hire an independent contractor, you're under the assumption that you own it all. You're paying for it. Therefore, you own it all. If you don't have the agreement in place, you don't own anything. You at best own a license and non-exclusive license to use it, but they can still use it. They can sell it to your competitor. They can use it themselves or do anything else they want with it. Or they can resell it to you for a higher price to give you that, right? Yeah. And a lot of times what they'll do is say, well, you got non-exclusivity. That may be inherent in the law. Guess what? 
you have a competitor that I'm aware of. And if you don't pay me, I'm going to go sell to the competitor and you just lost all the value and they can leverage you. Now I'm saying that's worst case scenario. Most people are good actors. They don't do that, but it leaves you pretty open that if they want to, by all means, they can do whatever they want with it. They can do anything that or anything that uh, makes sense to them or that is profitable. But if you have that duty to assign, basically you have a clause that you're saying, hey, you're an independent contractor. Normally under the law, you would have the rights to these. By entering into this agreement, you now have a duty to assign any rights you have, so patents or trademarks or copyrights or any of the material you're making. You've created this for us. And at the end of this, when we conclude this, Assuming we follow our end of the bargain, we get you paid, we uh, do what we said we would in the agreement, you have a duty to assign it over to us. When they assign it over to you, you now have the exclusive rights. And you're going to put that in there. You can either do the separate section, but you're going to say, we have the exclusive rights. Can't go do it yourself. Can't sell it to somebody else or to a competitor. You can't do anything because we own it outright and we own it. If I'm hearing you correctly, then you're looking at first outlining the role and responsibility, defining expectations, really gaining a timeline of commitments or clearly defined expectations up front of what needs to be there. And then the duty to assign the rights to you and then the exclusive rights. Those are the three components that you really want to make sure that you have in all of your agreements. Yeah, those would be the three main ones I've hit on. Those are going to be the most important. If I were to throw in a fourth, which would be confidentiality. So if you're wanting them to keep it confidential, you're not wanting them to go out and share it or anything else or do or to share any of the information you provided with them to do their job, then have a confidentiality clause in there as well, which basically says not only do we own it, you can't go share it with anybody else. You can't talk about it or give them any other information. In other words, you have to keep it confidential. So that'd probably be the one other clause I'd probably throw in there as well. And by the way, this is very different than an NDA, right? An NDA just says you can't discuss anything. A lot of people will just give somebody an NDA and then give them the work, but that doesn't give you the duty to assign rights or the exclusive rights, right? Right. And and usually, so NDAs and people use them all the time. Sometimes they use it correctly. Sometimes they have no idea. They just were told by their friend that they probably should get an NDA. Yeah. An NDA is typically more so when you're going to talk with a party that you're not entering in an you haven't entered into a relationship with yet. So let's say you're going to go pitch an investor or you're going to go talk with the manufacturer or you are looking to hire people and you're going to be disclosing confidential or otherwise proprietary information, but you hadn't entered into an agreement with, that's when you have an NDA. So in other words, you're saying, as we're or disclosing this information, as we're exploring things, you're under a duty to keep this confidential. You're not going to use it yourself. You're not going to go tell anybody else. That is different than an independent contractor agreement or an employee agreement. Once you enter an agreement, you're saying, we're going to hire you. We're going to have a relationship. We're going to actually pay you or, you, you know, we're going to have an otherwise compensation. You're going to do work for us. This is the work. That's what's covered under the independent contract agreement or the employee agreement. So NDA is really kind of, it'd be kind of like if you're dating, when you're dating before you get married, you don't have any obligations. So you're just saying, keep it a confidential while we're dating. Once you get married, you've entered into a relationship. Now you have agreements that you're entering into that you have or both you have obligations. This is really important too to be able to attract people too, because just having this paperwork in place makes people think that you're taking the company seriously, as opposed to you're just some fly-by-night venture hoping that something happens. And how you treat this interaction from a professional standpoint makes a huge difference on whether or not that person is going to be successful. Yeah. And a lot of times where it comes up is let's say you want to do a venture capital or angel investors, or you want to do a merger or an acquisition, 
the company, if they're at all astute, that's looking or the investor, whichever relationship, they're going to do what's called due diligence. They're going to rip your company apart, look at every, look under every or in every closet, under every mat, under every, you know, everywhere they can. Because they're trying to make sure that they understand completely what they're investing in or what they're buying. And if you don't have these in place, they're going to say, okay, who are your key employees or who are your key vendors or who are your key people that work for you? You have any agreement with them? Okay. Are we covered? Now, what is proprietary about your business? Do you actually own it? And does that, you know, is that valuable? And if you don't have these in place, they're going to knock down your evaluation considerably because they're going to say, first, we're going to have to go get these if we can. And if not, then now we've got ownership issues, we've got employment issues, we've got whether or not the key people or individual, can they go out and start becoming a direct competitor? And they've raised all these issues and it can significantly hamper your business as you go later or go or go on later on. You're so correct. And without that, you're dead in the water in most cases. I mean, you're only going to be able to attract investors that are not super sophisticated. And that's not going to help you out other than just getting some revenue. Devin, we're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into the business today? Oh, if I, you know, key takeaways are always hard. I'll give you a few. Um, one is get the agreements in place. And that's really almost goes back to the beginning of the conversation that, you know, it's much easier when money's not involved, when you're just getting started, people are much more willing to be honorable, fair, reasonable, and get everything outlined. Don't wait until you're farther down the road when you have money involved, you've been doing this for a while, you have investment, people putting in time, money, amnesia kicks in, memories change, get it in place or get those agreements in place early on. Know what the agreements cover. In other words, don't just, if you're going to go get one of those, at least know what the agreement covers. If you're going to go get one of the free ones online or from somebody, your friend that had an attorney drafted 10 years ago, may or may not have been done well, may, may or may not you get yours to cover your situation. So make sure you get an agreement, you get the right agreement, and then review them periodically. The other thing that and we didn't touch on as much, but oftentimes what happens with the business is it evolves over time. I have yet to be a part of a business or see any businesses that where it's at today when they first got started is the same where they're at five years down the road. Always pivots, always changes. That's part of a business, not a bad thing, but you do need to periodically go through and review the agreement so that you know what they cover. Are they still applicable? Are there any gaps? Are there any issues? So one, get the agreements in place. Two, make sure that you know what they cover. And three, periodically review them. When you say periodically, every quarter, every six months, every year? Probably a good rule of thumb is at least once a year. If your business is quickly evolving, if you're making a lot of changes, bringing people on, pivoting a lot, then you're probably going to move that up to quarter or six months. Generally, if your business is kind of just taking a status quo, we're growing, we're, or we're evolving, we're changing on a slower pace. Once a year is probably as much as anybody can stand and probably all that they need. Devin, thanks so much for your time and investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of our audience could reach you, find out more about you and maybe hire you if they need some help? Yeah, I'll give a few play, or a few ways that they can reach out depending on what they want to reach out to me for. So Easiest one is if they want to do a one-on-one -on -one strategy meeting, grab some time on my calendar, get some time to chat. They can go to strategymeeting.com. Makes it easy. You can just grab some time on my calendar. Second one is if they just want to check out our website, figure out what our prices are. We have tons of content. You mentioned our podcast is on there. We have a ton of videos. We have a blog. We basically provide as much informational material as possible to make it as easy as start as possible. For our general website, lawwithmiller.com. If you go there, it makes it easy. You can grab 
The last one I'll give is if you want to catch me on LinkedIn, I'm not as active on other socials. I am. I love LinkedIn. I'm on there more active. If you go to meetmiller.com, that takes you right to my LinkedIn profile. Re quick rehearsal, one-on-one -on -one strategy meeting, go to strategymeeting.com for the law firm, lawwithmiller.com, and for LinkedIn, meetmiller.com. Thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this shows for you. And we want to make sure that we're adding more valuable content for you each week. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or you can drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. I'm actually doing another solo episode. I'm going to pick up the pace on these because I've had a lot of requests with a lot of the hiring challenges that are going on lately. We're going to be talking about something that's really relevant to today. So uh, definitely tune in. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard.